Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. Today's guest is comedian, actor, and podcast host Michael Rappaport, who you know from True Romance, Beautiful Girls, Deep Blue Sea, and a hundred other things. Michael tells me about his long-lost innocence, a recent altercation at a sushi bar, not being a sex symbol, his deep love of New York, being your own biggest fan and critic, Brad Pitt, Mike Tyson, and a lot more. Today's first caller is Tom, whose obsession with exercising is having a negative impact on other areas of his life and often even leads to injury. Tom recognizes that he might be compensating for past eating disorders and is wondering how to find a balance. Next is Joelle, who has felt increasingly disconnected since the pandemic. Her social anxiety has now carried over to a new job where she seems unable to relate to her new coworkers. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link in our show notes. If you want to hear more from Michael, check out his podcast, I Am Rappaport, on iHeartMedia. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. What up? How you doing, Anna? Always so happy to see you. I can't thank you enough for doing this. I appreciate you having me, Anna. We had a good time last time. I did want to know if there's something that is bothering you these days. (laughs) 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 I'll try to keep it within the confines of the last 24 hours. I mean, there's always things bothering me, whether they're legitimately connected to my actual life or big picture things. But I'll say that One thing that bothered me is, you know, you've been through this. See, first of all, if I wasn't an actor at this point, Anna, I can imagine myself being like 270 pounds because I'm truly not vain. The only thing that keeps me, well, now it's about health, but the only thing that keeps me conscious about the way I look and, you know, taking care of myself is being an actor. That is truly the only thing. And my health, but that's a boring part. It sounds cooler if I say that it's just being an actor. You know, I've been eating really well and I've been working out and I feel really good. Good. Thank you. But yesterday, I don't know, I had to get up earlier than I normally did. I didn't get to do my workout. See, normally if I do my workout, and when I say workout, I do like air quotes because it's not like I'm on some like Superman, Batman shit. You know, like I could imagine, you know, my workout sort of motivation is probably in the same vein of your workout motivation because you don't seem like you care about working out either, although you look ridiculous. I love it that you say that. Do you work? No. And why would you? You're fucking Anna Ferris. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) But let me just tell you what happened to me yesterday. So yesterday, I was all thrown off. I had to get up early. I was doing some shit, bah, 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 bah. And when I don't start the day off right, it fucks me up. So by the time I got to lunchtime, and I'm not supposed to eat sushi often because it fucks me up and I love sushi. 
and I tried to go to Sugarfish. Sugarfish is a very popular sushi joint in Los Angeles, and they have a bunch of them. And I went to the Sugarfish in New York yesterday, and I got there at 12.30, and I knew I fucked up when I got there at 12.30 because I knew there was going to be a line. And the host was such a prick. And he tried to tell me that when the owner comes, he waits online. And I said, really? If I was the owner and you tried to tell me that I had to wait online, wait, I'd fire you. We got to back <laughs> this up. You're having the kind of encounter that I don't have. So you said to this guy, I can't believe I'm waiting. Like, what's up? No, I didn't even say that. He's like giving me the old, it's 30 to 45 minutes. And I'm like, really? You know, I was like, I'll stuff myself right there at the one seat at the bar. And he's like, oh, well, the, it wasn't like, oh, I expect to sit down. It was just like, come on, man, fucking 60 minutes. I'm not sitting outside for 60 minutes. It's like 84 degrees. I want my goddamn, you know, my sushi. I want my, you know, what I order at Sugarfish is they have an order called Don't Think, Just Eat, where they just bring you like the platter of fish and sushi and you just eat it like a pig. Anyway, he tried to tell me that the owner of Sugarfish, that particular Sugarfish, he actually gets put on the wait list. And I was trying to tell him that if I was the owner and you, you little fucker, tried to put me on the wait list at my own sushi place, I'd fire you on the spot. Anyway, after that, I went to another sushi joint. I had a meal. It was good. It wasn't exactly what I wanted. But I was so off track by the encounter at Sugarfish, and then I was going off the rails with my sushi that after that, I went to a place, so anybody in Manhattan might know there's a bakery called Orwashers, O-R-W-A-S-H-E-R-S, and they got all sorts of breads. Oh, God. But they also have brownies, and they have chocolate chip cookies. So I went in there afterwards, and like an animal, instead of picking one, either a brownie or a cookie, either of which I should be having in the first place, me being the pig that I am, although I am in fucking fantastic shape right now, I got a brownie and a chocolate chip cookie. Good. Life is short. Life is short. But the point about that is that then afterwards, I'm walking and I'm talking to myself. I'm going, you filthy pig, you animal. Couldn't you just have picked the brownie or the chocolate chip cookie? Did you have to eat both? You fucking slob you. Oh, I don't like that beat up. I'm just saying, you saying what's bothering me, that bothered me because I could have just made an either or. Nonetheless, Anna, I got up today and worked out and I've had a fabulous day. But just as sort of a general what's bothering me, that is, I would say, what is bothering me. And, you know, the thing is, is that just sort of pivoting into what we do for a living. You know, I hear a lot of women, you know, they talk about like, oh, women and, you know, actresses and all this shit. And that's totally true. But men also, we have the same thing. Like I said, if I was 289 pounds, I'm limiting myself, you know, as for what I could do for work. You know, and men don't talk about that because da-da-da-da-da. I know women have it worse. Trust me, especially in Hollywood. It's not like I was, you know, some sex symbol to begin with. It's not like I was John Stamos at the peak of all my prowess. I was thinking the other day about the differences between male and female insecurities. I mean, I could just contextualize it in regards to what we do because so much of what we do is based on our physical appearance and our physical presentation. It's the only sort of point of view that I know professionally. And like I said, women have it worse. But for me, it's not a real thing. It's not a struggle for me. Yesterday was particularly bad because the guy wouldn't let me eat my sugarfish. And I feel like if he would have let me eat my sugarfish, even if I had went to Orwashers <laughs> to get my chocolate chip cookie, I was just, by the time I got to Orwashers, <laughs> I was like, fuck it all. That dude made you go into some kind of self-abuse journey. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. my sushi. And I'll wait online. But when you start talking about 60 minutes, like, it's good, but it ain't that good. Oh, come on. It's pretty good. <laughs> What's your second favorite place in the world? To do what? 
Well, I always like to think about, like, with actors, the idea of home. But I feel like with you, the first choice would be your home of New York, right? New York is my favorite place, for sure. And then, you know, like, I don't know many places. I mean... Los Angeles, I love. Do you travel? I travel. I don't travel enough. Do you travel a lot? I do. I really like it, and I'm good at it. Are you? Why are you good at it? Why do you consider yourself a good traveler? I'm pretty much always buoyant. Like, I'm upbeat. I have low expectations. I delight if something is unexpectedly luxurious or something. Uh. I am totally fine in a Motel 6. You are? Yep. I'm pretty good at making the best of a rough situation. That's good. What was the last trip you took? I'm crazy about Italy. Damn. Like, who wouldn't be? My parents spent their retirement packing my brother and whatever husbands and wives we had at the time. Mm -hmm. Into a minivan. In Italy? In Italy, driving around for weeks. Really? That's cool. It was. It was. Yeah, it was great. And I studied there, but I use that term loosely. What'd you study? Well, I was supposed to be studying Italian and art history. How'd that work out? Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> and did you eat like a fucking animal? Yeah. That's good. It was the first time in my life where I was like, this is just too good. I couldn't fit into any of my pants. I had just like one long jean skirt at the time that I could wear. Uh-huh. It felt great. I appreciate the sense of community, the sense of presence. You know, the small things in life, the passeggiatas, the pizza, of course. Yeah. The sense of family. Yeah. Have you broken up with somebody and it's been a surprise to them? Or has someone broken up with you and it's been a surprise to you? Well... I would say that if anybody ever wants to break up with me, I mean, I'm shocked because why would you want to fucking break up with me? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, like I'm good in small doses. Like, I don't know when the last time I did the podcast was, but it was a few years ago. Like that works. You're like, yo, I fucking enjoyed this guy. <laughs> nah, but man, it's been a long time since I've broken up with somebody. It's been a long time. It would have to be more for me. Like, you know, the one who's been broken up with that I always would be surprised. And also because when I was younger, I take those sort of things literal. Like, oh, I love you. I'll never leave you. Like, I would take that shit literally. And then if the relationship would end, then I'd be like, what the fuck? But that's just like innocence. That is long gone, Anna. Which is a quality that a New Yorker does not have in spades. I guess. I mean, everybody's perspective is different on relationships. And it's such a sort of unique thing because there's so many contributing factors to what you look at, how you look at relationships. It's so specific to, I think, each person. Yeah. You know, like it's hard to even quantify being on the exact same page because it has to do with what you've seen, what you've been exposed to, your family, your parents. Would you consider yourself a romantic? Did you fall in love? Like at what age... Do you feel like you... 16. 16. Yes. I don't now. I'm more realistic and I have a different sort of perspective on relationships and love and marriage and intimacy and friendships and partners and what that's supposed to be and what that's supposed to look like. I would look at it completely different than I did, you know, when I was 16, 26, 36, even I would say 46. It's evolved. We get sanded down a little bit. Absolutely. And it doesn't feel bad. <laughs> it's like the one thing about getting older where 
you know, we're smoothed out a little. Definitely smoothed out. The edges are smoothed out. You know, you could just be like, you know, I'll fuck it. And also, you know, I equate it to like a sports thing. You know, in sports, they'll talk about great athletes. You know, they'll talk about when the game slowed down. LeBron James will talk about the game slowing down and they could see things better and see things slower on the court. I think the same thing happens for people, particularly in relationships where the game slows down. So you're able to sort of process and deal with everything easier, as opposed to, especially for me when I was younger, I mean, I'm still extremely emotional, but things slow down for me now so I could not react from such an emotional place as I did when I was younger, or even like five years ago, even three years ago. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I have two now teenage stepchildren that I don't think I've ever felt more childish in some moments. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I wanted to ask you, and this is something that I know nothing about. If you were on a baseball team, what position would you play? I mean, imaginary, I'd be the pitcher. All right. But realistically, I'd be in right field because that's usually where they put the worst player. (laughs) (laughs) So, Michael, what does the idea of patriotism mean to you? Hmm, That's a good question. Because, you know, in the last six years, I never really paid attention to that as much as I do more. But patriotism, it's not even so much the broad strokes of it. For me, it's like patriotism is being loyal and loving your city. Like, because I love New York so much. I hate the trash in New York. And, you know, New Yorkers are so like, I love New York. I fucking love New York. I'm a fucking New Yorker. And I'm always like, why do you piss all over it? Why do you throw your trash all over it? And I'm not perfect, but like, I don't litter in New York. And I'm just like, that has become a big thing for me because I love New York so much and I love New Yorkers, but it's still such a fucking filth hole here in New York and the garbage and the trash and all that stuff. And I'm just like, since we love love New York so much. Why do we throw all our shit all over the place? Why don't you pick up your dog shit? Why do you let your dog piss in front of the building that you live in? It's disgusting. Those kinds of things to me. And then, you know, there's more political shit, you know, that I could get into in terms of patriotism, whatever, but that's too, I think, heavy handed, whatever. But you're right. Like, it feels like there is a correlation between having pride and love for a place that you live. And then the absurdity, the lack of regard, the inconsideration of tossing your shit someplace, like outside where somebody else has to fucking pick it up. Yeah, also that, also that, you know, it's just not a good look. 
But in general, you know, I mean, it's a hard question. I know. It's a hard question for me. Is that a cashmere sweater you have on, Anna? Yeah. All right. Totally, of course, I know. <laughs> but it's an eBay used sweater. You bought it from somebody else? Yeah. You know what would be cool? That person who put their used sweater on eBay, like if they knew that Anna Ferris is wearing their sweater, they'd be like, <laughs> holy fucking shit. Like, you know, you think like it's just going to go to some Joe Schmo, but like you sold your sweater and boom, fucking Anna Ferris is wearing your shit. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Let me ask you this. What is your relationship like with the idea of fame? Because you've spent now more than half your life being famous. Yeah. I'm comfortable with it. For me, being famous and being recognized and people wanting to talk to me, people want to take pictures with me and all that shit. Like you said, I've been doing this shit 30 years. I would have a lot bigger problems if nobody wanted to stop me, no one wanted to talk to me. Of course, sometimes, you know, you're in a rush. Of course, sometimes you could be talking on the phone to your mom. But I truly have an appreciation, especially at this point in my life, for it. You know, giving people joy. That's nice. I really appreciate it. You know, things could be a lot worse. You know, and wanting to be an actor. There's plenty of actors my age that never, never had a break, you know, that people don't know. And, you know, it's not like Leonardo DiCaprio where you're like a prisoner, like Sylvester Stallone. You know, there's some people that are prisoners of it, you know, where they literally can't leave their fucking house. And I'm not at that level. You know, people, particularly in New York, you know, they want to say what's up. You know, they honk their horns. People run up and they want to take pictures. And I'm cool with all that, you know, and I appreciate it. And, you know, even if I'm not in a good mood, I really remain very humble and appreciative of it. You know, like I said, there's other people that could have weird kinds of fame and they just can't go anywhere. I can't imagine that where every fucking delicatessen, every person at the airport, you know, that's some other shit. What I have, I'm cool with it, and I appreciate it because with being an actor, like, fame comes from being successful, and it's just part of the job. It's part of the job hazard and the job occupation. I'm really appreciative of this, like, awesome sort of middle ground idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I just think you have to really appreciate that. That's success. That comes with all the perks of being able to fly first class and all the other shit. You know, I love actors, and I'm so curious just about people's approach to things. Let me just ask you just off the top. Like, who are the people, the actors or actresses, that you just, like, get off on the most? Or, you know, when you were younger, like, who are your big inspirations that you have a connection with them and they mean so much to you? Like, who are the ones that mean the most to you? Oh, that's a great question. I saw this one-woman show by Anna DeVere Smith, mm -hmm. and it was about the Los Angeles riots after the Rodney King trial. Yep. And that was, like, revolutionary. She performed... 30 characters. Uh-huh. And I was a big fan of Studs Terkel. Who's that? He was very famous for writing these incredible true vignettes that were about very relevant social issues, but he pretty much just monologued different people's perspectives in a very digestible way. And I know that that was a heavy influence for Anna DeVere Smith's piece. But when I was a kid... My mom was incredibly culturally conservative. Uh-huh. Like, I didn't have exposure to MTV. I was not allowed to be a fangirl in any way. So everything was sort of PBS. That's so interesting because your comedy is so, like, bugged out. And, like, you know, especially when you first came on, 
I mean, it was so like, what the fuck is this girl doing? Like, thanks, Michael. That was kind of the mystery. But what do you mean? Well, because I was completely baffled why I got cast in a comedy. I had nurtured enough of myself and I had been a part of so many like adult theater productions that I felt strong and arrogant in my ability. I did not feel arrogant about my looks. I did not feel arrogant about anything in the comedic world. Uh, but when you say you were strong and confident in your ability, that to me is, you know, like if anyone asked you, you know, what does it take to be an actress? You know, people ask that all the time. What does it take? You know, that is the most important thing. And even the weirdos, even the people that like can't talk on the red carpets. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like all of us, even the ones that are totally neurotic, I just think that you have to have that belief in yourself. You must. You have to. It sounds like some sixth grade gym class shit. You know, you got to believe in yourself. But like, you know, when people say to me, what does it take to have a career? Like, not just to get into it. Like, what's the secret to having like a long career? For me, it's like, you must be your biggest fan and your biggest critic. Because the tide and the ebbs and the flow of being an actor and the rejection and the failures and all that shit, like that belief in yourself and that determination is almost more important or just as important than having talent as things go on in a career because there's just ebbs and flows to a career. Everybody has them. You're right. There's no finish line. You got to keep going. Yes. When you're working now, like, do you approach it differently than you did when you were younger? I'm so fascinated the way, like, magicians never tell their tricks. And I feel like actors, you know, unless it's like the actor's studio, sometimes they'll give away their tricks, their thoughts. I think we're, like, embarrassed by them. But, again, I equate things to sports. Like, you'll see, like, LeBron James, even on Instagram, like, he'll show you his workouts. And I'm like, fuck. You know, I'm always so curious, like, actors, like, the majority of us, you know, we do our stuff by ourselves. Like, you know, you probably maybe run lines with, you know, whoever your friend or your boyfriend, your girlfriend. I practice with my wife, you know, before I go to set, like we run lines. So, you know, just to get up to speed. But then when you get up on set, it's almost like you're pulling a rabbit out of your hat, you know, and you just sort of show it. You know, it's funny that you say that. I will sometimes run lines with my husband. And then later, after seeing the actual scene, he will say how surprised he was by the difference. And sometimes I'm actually kind of surprised too. So the difference between now and when I was younger, maybe I take more delight at still being able to find that rabbit. Hi, Tom. Hi. I'm here with Michael Rappaport. Will you tell us what's going on? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for letting me be on the show. So I've always been into exercise, so running, cycling and yoga and things like that. But I found it since I've been older, so it's my birthday last week, I'm 36 now. I've just found that I've been struggling with aches and pains and illnesses and things like that. But I can't seem to kind of let my body recover. I keep the exercise going, if that makes sense. I've struggled with weight and eating disorders and things in the past, and I think that got a part to play in it. And I'm just not sure really where to go next with it. I feel like I'm a bit stuck in terms of the obsessive side of exercising and mm. the struggles I have around with food as well. 
Tom, would you mind if I read a couple of sentences? Yes, of course. You wrote, I can't stop exercising. I worry that if I do, I will resort to my old eating habits and become restrictive again. The exercise, though, affects my day-to-day life as I exercise before seeing friends and family and put recovery time after exercising before socializing. I'm in a loop. I found this really interesting and moving. And Michael, do you understand this idea? I do understand it. I don't suffer from it, but I know that it is a real thing. And I mean, the only thing that I could say is, I mean, shit. For me, it's just about moderation. And, you know, eventually you have to just really try to become comfortable with yourself. Because for me, exercising should be fun. Eating should also be fun. And you got to find a middle ground to be able to do both so you feel good about it. But I think that if you're not enjoying the exercising, the aftermath of it seems like it's not comfortable. He's hurting himself. He's doing too much. I think he's overexerting himself because he's not resting. That's what it seems like. Tom, is that true? Yeah. Is your body in pain after you work out? Yeah, I mean, I'm in pain quite a lot of the time. I mean, I went, I was on holiday this week. I went to Amsterdam, which was great. But I found, oddly enough, kind of having to break my exercise routine quite difficult to kind of have a few days where I wasn't able to do my usual thing, even though I was away on holiday. And like I had to, in a way, force myself to go away and do that to prove to myself that I could, if that makes sense. Yes. So you would have preferred to work out as opposed to like sightsee or something. But I did and I made myself go and do that. How did that feel? I had a great time. It was a lovely place. But but I made myself walk and walk and walk all the time so that I kind of got the exercise through that way as well. Oh, Tom, yours was a letter that I had been like kind of chewing on for a while. Okay. Because I truly didn't know how to address the idea of something that has a grip like this on your life. And I think that's probably the best way to say it It is a grip. When did it start to develop? I first been in treatment when I was around 17. So it's around 20 years now. Shit. In treatment for what? Do you mind? No, not at all treatment for the eating disorder and then also hand in hand with that I'm sure you can understand aspects of depression and anxiety and and so on and it ebbs and flows sometimes it gets better sometimes it gets worse but I feel that you know by the age that I am now of 36 I should kind of sorted it by now it makes sense it's an awful lot of pressure you put on yourself it's hard yeah I can feel it in you I mean I talked about it earlier on the podcast you know I don't feel like my stuff might not be as extreme as Tom's, but if he goes through what I went through yesterday, Tom, just long story short, I was talking about yesterday how I ate myself into the ground and I felt like shit and blah, 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 and I didn't work out. And I don't deal with that often, but if I dealt with it often, I understand how it could really do a number on you. And if you've been dealing with it with years and struggling with it with years, I can understand how it could really do a number on you. You know, I mean, my whole thing, you know, that I would say to anybody, you know, is like, you just got to be easy on yourself. You know, this thing seems like it's been a burden for a long time, but you just got to be easy on yourself and do things in moderation. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, that's the point that I want to get to. I'm just not sure kind of what the next stage is. Oh, Tom, I feel you. And I I think Michael does too. Uh Uh-oh, wait. 
I think we lost him. Tom? Um, Okay, we're going to try to get Tom back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Michael, I want to ask you about a guest that you've had that has been really, like, open and brave that took you by surprise. i probably say the guest that I've had on my podcast, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, which I need to have you as a guest so I could do the full... Uh, I would love that. We'll do that. You know, the guest that probably surprised me and the listeners the most was Mike Tyson because he's such a trip. And, you know, whether you're a fan of boxing or not, we've sort of watched him evolve where he is at now to where he was in the height of his career with all the craziness to who he is today is such a humble, sort of introspective, emotional person. And especially for me, I could just say for myself, but I could say one of the reasons why men, I would imagine, gravitate towards who he is today is because, you know, we all try to go through self-reflectiveness and, you know, especially dudes, you know, I'm the fucking best this, I'm the fucking coolest this, I'm the toughest this. I know I have that. You know, to see him be this introspective, humble very emotional, reflective person. It has inspired me. I told him that, you know, because if he could chill out, I could chill the fuck out, you know, and having him on my podcast, asking him a few things, but he started crying. So when you say the guest that surprised me, that took me aback. Like I was like, whoa, you know, Mike Tyson's in front of me. We were doing it in person. You know, he was crying and we were talking about Muhammad Ali. You know, I was talking about how much I love him and he was talking about how much he loves him and how much he just reveres him. But the way he articulated himself about it and what he was saying about it, you know, was basically like, you know, I'm nothing. When I look at boxers and, you know, men, he just put him as a man, as a person. You know, when I look at Ali, like I'm nothing to him. You know, so when people say, oh, if this imaginary fight happened, who would win Tyson or Ali? He just was so emotional in his reverence and respect for him. And, you know, he just really has such adoration for him. Without playing into the idea of competitiveness. That's not even a part of it. It was almost like, how could I even be mentioned in the same category? Not even in boxing skills, just as a person. And he was talking about like in his toughness as a person and what he stood for as a person. But even, you know, as a boxer, like he imposed himself on you, you know, and he just stood for so much more. So that was one of the guests that surprised me the most. I love that. Okay, Michael, if you could not make a living as an actor, what would you do? What would be your specific skill set? So there's no acting. No acting. Did you ever have a backup plan? I had no backup plan. Once I started, I had no backup plan. 
I refuse to give myself a backup plan either. For me, it's always been a source of comfort. There could not be a backup plan. There was no room for failure. Blinders on once I said, this is what I'm doing. But to answer your question, one thing that I would love to do, I would love to teach. It sounds great, right, on paper, but then you talk to teachers and it's a real fucking shove job what they do, especially public school teachers. And if I couldn't do that, then I would be a custom picture hanger because my frames behind me are pretty straight. Although I could see one is a little crooked. I have to fix that. I want to get back to your relationship with New York. Like, I don't know, passions or criticisms, overall mentality, I guess. We love food. We love New York. Uh huh. Just that alone. New Yorkers are going to be passionate about New York itself. We're passionate about everything. We're passionate about the city. We're passionate about the trash in the city. We're passionate about... You know, the weather when it's fucking hot or when it's fucking cold. So would you say that New Yorkers would be more critical of like a particular Broadway show than people from the rest of the country? Oh, wait. So you're saying that we're overly critical about everything? Not overly critical. I would say appropriately. Definitely. And also, I think it's our tone. Our tone is like I've learned about my tone. You know, my wife talks about your tone. And I go, it's just that it's the way I speak. It's like, fuck this. You know, this sucks. You know, there's a there's a definitiveness to it. And it's also the accent. Yeah. The accent itself bites. So sometimes I'm like, no, it's just the way I speak. You know, sometimes people think, you think you're tough or you're always angry. I'm like, it's just the way I speak. And I've learned to try to dial it down because with the accent, there's a sort of pitter patter or a poking or a stinging to the way we speak. I have the same thing with facial expressions. New Yorkers or in general? Just me. Like I have a sincerity to my facial expressions that I think come across as more emphatic than I mean. I got you. But that's why you're a good actress. Thanks. I mean, at least you got something. Just the small head, like the nerves to the eyes. Do you have a physically small head? I think so, yeah. I'm a fairly petite person. Right, right, right. No, I hear you. My whole identity as a kid was a short kid with headgear. Did you have headgear? I did. I totally did. For what? You know, to move the back molars. Oh, shit. Oh, you had like the thing and everything? Uh Uh-huh. You had to wear it to school? Yeah. That should be against the fucking law. Yeah. That ain't right. I haven't asked them, but I'm convinced that my parents, it was part of their strategy of virginity. <sighs> That'll work with the wires and all that. Oh, sh- yeah. Do they still do that? No, they don't still do that. For No. I don't think so. No. Man, people talk about like, you know, trauma. That's fucking trauma. You had to wear that fucking thing. I mean, you walk by and everybody's like, look at this fucking asshole. Like, no disrespect. That's right. But that's what everybody's saying. 100%. And the nice people are smiling, but they're thinking, like, what the fuck is going on with her? I laid low. (laughs) And yeah, I really, like, hardened the idea of Lalo. Right. No boobs. Shit. Headgear. Weird, large glasses. You had glasses and headgear? Yeah, and my older brother was tall and handsome and popular. But in the meantime, while all this shit was happening at school, I was also getting this whole other adult exposure with the theater world. Man, but you had the glasses and headgear. That's real shit right there. That's trauma. Thanks. (laughs) This has been incredibly helpful for me. (laughs) Is this bringing back all your trauma? (laughs) No. No, I'm good. I'm good now. Yeah, you got on a fucking cashmere sweater. You're doing fine. Everything's just fucking fine. All is well. Okay, Michael, iHeartMedia, is that new? Yes. Will you tell us about it? 
you know, it's the same podcast. I am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. And, you know, I've been doing the podcast for a while. We have 950 episodes. I love doing the podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. I love doing it. I talk shit about everything. I talk about myself. I talk about the world. It's a really great podcast. You know what I did last week that was fun? Because, you know, I definitely talk about actors, but I did this with my friend who sometimes co-hosts, Dean, who was with me when I came to do the show. Yeah. We picked Brad Pitt top five performances each. Ooh. It was tough. I was looking at this fucking guy's resume. This motherfucker's got a fucking resume of good shit. And it was just, you know, we were off the cuff and we could not duplicate. We only duplicated one. Which one? I think it was Fight Club. But when you look at his list of films, there's not many people where you can go back to back just to do 10 and not duplicate. He's a serious dude as far as his work and like what a ridiculous career. Anyway, so that was one of the episodes that we just did that. I really like that. And just to say whatever, we talk about everything. Hey, Joelle. How are you guys doing? Oh, great. And... Thank you for your letter. Will you tell our listeners what's going on? Yeah. So since the pandemic, it's just been a lot harder for me because like everyone had to shut down and I had to stay home. And since we came back to like having a social life and everything, I was a little scared, to be honest, to see some people because I know people were being careful. And so I feel like my friends, I've disconnected with a lot of them and I started a new job and I just haven't got along too much with my coworkers. Too, I know with age, you lose friends and you have a close group of friends instead of a lot. But it's just been one of those things that I've been having so much social anxiety, I guess you can say, like hanging out with my coworkers and my friends when they bail all the time. Michael? I agree. You don't need a lot of friends. You just need good friends. And I think that the friends that are your real ride or dies and the friends that you really connect with and you feel comfortable with, those are the ones you should, you know, give your energy to. I don't think you should take it personal or look into why this, that, and coworkers canceling and all that stuff. But how do you not, like, get hurt feelings? I would be so sensitive. Yeah. I would be, like, crushed if I started a new job and I made, like, a friendly outreach and it wasn't reciprocated. Like, I get what you guys are both saying because I worked in retail for years and then I went into, like, now I work for a payroll company and we do, like, marketing and sales. But they always all kind of hang out and they don't invite me. Oh. Yeah, they invite me for lunch. They're like, oh, come hang out with us for lunch. And then I'm like, oh, what are you guys doing this weekend? They tell me, but they just don't invite me. And I don't know if it's like because I'm a little older. Mostly everyone's starting there are like 22, 23. And I'm in my mid-20s. So I don't know if that's a thing or because I feel like they're all like the rich kids. I don't know how else to describe it. Like I came from California. They're all from New York. It's very different. Honestly, I say fuck those little bastards. And, you know, <laughs> honestly, don't worry about them. You know, you could work with them and be pleasant with them and have lunch with them and not rock with them on the weekends. I'm sure, I'm assuming, you seem like a very nice person. You're in New York. You have friends that you had before that. I wouldn't look into it too much. Compartmentalize it. Yeah. You know, and you could have a good time. As long as you're having a good time at work with them, maybe you don't have to take it further with that little group of people at work and just stick to your friends that you have that you know and you feel comfortable with. This is about you and your career and what you're doing, you know? And I think that there are always these circumstances in life. Mm -hmm. But this won't be your last job Mm -hmm. without brushing them off, Mm -hmm. without like making it overt. How do you protect yourself 
And how do you excel at your job? So yeah, my job, I feel like I'm excelling really good. And I think that's why maybe I don't get along because they're slacking off. And it's like, hey, guys, I'm trying to focus. Like, it's a real job because if they get fired, they have their parents' money. Mm. For me, it's like, no, if I get fired, I'm screwed. Well, this is interesting, though. How can you combat that idea? And how do you rise above the privilege and show your own idea? I want to make sure that you don't get mired in the stuff that won't matter 10 years from now. These people that you won't know. Yeah. I wonder how you keep your eye on the prize. That's true. I understand that. I just feel like, you know, so since the pandemic, I lost a lot of people. So I feel like I don't know how to carry a conversation because I get so sensitive about stuff. Like when people ask me like, oh, what are you doing and stuff? It's just sometimes very hard to talk about. You're lonely. Yeah, I like it sometimes, but then sometimes it gets like, oh, because I left my family. They all live in California. So it's been one of those things that's hard. And then a lot of my friends just left New York. Mm. So for me, it's like, oh, well, all my close friends out of work are moving. So I've been having like that thing. And it's like, I don't want to make new friends every day. I'm not like, oh, yeah, let me go make friends. Let me go find people. It's like, I kind of want to have my own group. New York is hard in that way. Do you think, Michael? I think everywhere is hard. The one thing about New York that I've always liked, I am from here, so there's a certain amount of comfort, but I always like that you're not isolated. You know, I could leave my apartment right now and go out, and I'm amongst people. Obviously, I don't know them, you know, and Joelle doesn't know them, but, you know, especially when the weather is as beautiful as it's been these last few days, or even when it's not, when it's rainy, yeah. you know, when it's snowy, sometimes I just like to just go You know, although you're not with people, you're amongst people. Whereas Los Angeles, you can't leave your house and just go for a walk and be amongst people. I think both cities are uniquely lonely. You think New York is lonely? Oh, 100%. I don't know if I've ever been lonelier than when I was in New York. Shit. I understand that there was opportunity, but I didn't know how to approach it. It felt like I didn't know the language. Like, I didn't know how to wander around and have... Now you need someone to show you how to do that, because it's the best place for that. Then maybe this is, like, an app that you should start. I was thinking about doing tours. I want to start doing walking tours. Yes, you should. <laughs> this is genius. I would definitely join. Yes. Joelle and I will be right there. All right, you could be my first people on my walking tours. Oh, my God. We're going to be adorable. It'll be fucking awesome. Yeah. I agree, though. When I go outside, I feel like there's so many people. So, like, today I worked from home, and it's like I didn't see one person except for my Zoom meeting. You got to get out. And those days, you got to go for a lunch and yeah. go for a coffee and, you know, do your Zoom meeting at the court. You got to get out, especially when the weather's like this. You have yes, to. Yes, but, Michael, yeah. does Joelle, like, go up to somebody and say, like, hey, I'm new to the city. I came from California. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. You can't just go up to people all the time. But, Joelle... You walk around, I'm sure people will be chit-chatting with you also. And, you know, Joelle Scott it right. She knew she had to go out of the house because if you're just in there on these fucking Zooms, these miserable fucking Zooms, which we're all professionals at, they suck. And I live in a studio right now, so I'm like, I need space. And I'm finally moving with my boyfriend, so at least I'll have more space in that way. Oh, you didn't tell us you got a boyfriend. Things could be a lot worse for you, Joelle. Yeah, he's been around. I met him right before the pandemic, like a month in. Oh, so it's good. Just, yeah, it was perfect timing. It kind of sucked for him because he had to be around. I like lost my grandma, my mom, and then my uncle. It was kind of like one of those things where the relationship tested us. 
like to see how we would be together. And then he lost some people, but then we've just grown together. Oh, I'm really sorry, Joelle, but I'm happy you have your boyfriend. I guess the sad takeaway is time, you know, so this will pass. Just keep your eye on the goal. It's true. Thank you so much, Joelle. Thank you. Thank you for you guys' advice. It was nice meeting you. You too. Bye, Joelle. Michael, I can't thank you enough. I could not adore you more. I appreciate it. I feel the same. I would love to continue our conversation on your podcast. I would love that. And I just really appreciate you. I appreciate you having me, Anna. I appreciate you. And thanks for having me on the podcast. And hopefully I see you and talk to you soon. I hope so. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Anna. Bye, Michael. All right, bye. Bye. 